What's up, everybody, and welcome to another boardroom out of office. This is number 28, 28, for those who's listening in Spanish. And with me as <laughs> and with me as always, my main man, my right hand, Mr. Gianni Hurrell. Yes, Sersky. What's up, bro? What's up, bro? So today we got Jamie Patrickoff. Man. What a cool dude. What a cool dude. My boy, Jamie Patrickoff. So Jamie is somebody that I, I, I truly talk to every day. He is, he's my closest friend. I've known him since we were kids. Um, and he's had an incredibly successful career in film and TV. He's got a, an amazing restaurant in California, he'll tell you about in L.A. And he's somebody that I think could run for mayor, mayor of L.A. He's got a budding political career if he wants it. So without further ado, please welcome to the show my dear friend, Jamie Patrickoff. Thanks, Rich. I appreciate that. Uh, we, we do speak every day, but this is a special conversation to do it on the podcast. And of course, very excited to be talking to Gianni as well, um, who I just don't get to speak to enough or hang out with enough. So uh, this is this is an honor to be on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. No, of course. So <laughs> thanks for being here. So I'm not going to talk to you any different than I would talk to any guest, but for the listeners out there that don't know either one of us, when we say we speak every day, it's not on some weird, creepy shit, and it's not because we work together, but we grew up together. We've known each other since we were probably five or six years old, and a lot of my kind of early entrepreneurial drive, I truly measured a bit against Jamie, my peer, because I wanted to collect baseball cards. He had the best baseball card collection. I also loved athletes and wanted to sneak into the garden and do all that kind of crazy shit, and I did. But then I'd look up and he was like on the court with Shaq somehow when he was like 13 years old. So, Jamie, do you also feel like the, like as long and far back as you can remember that like feeling of wanting to just build something or or create something and have other people kind of see it? Was that something that you felt was a part of you early on? Um, yeah, I, mean, I think that's a good uh that's a good question. I, you know, I think for me, it was more just about the concept of sort of doing and sort of getting, uh, thinking about something and then just sort of going after it. Uh, and I think as I was younger, uh, you know, it's ironic to bring up the Knicks, um, you know, that concept of, you know, getting seats that were, you know, in the greens or the blues and figuring out a way down to the court was just the goal. And it was always, uh, that was sort of always the goal. It's like, okay, how can I do something? And then how can I going to be the best at it um and i think you know what comes with that is see is people seeing that to some extent i mean i think the next analogy may not be as great because it wasn't my goal wasn't to be seen on the on the court my goal was to see the players better um or meet the players more likely um but i think uh everything i do especially now in the film business we talk about it although you know i don't make uh studio blockbusters primarily i make more for award-winning films my goal in the end of the day is people to see it. I mean, that's really what, and, and people have a conversation about it. So I think that is, you know, that's well put. You know, it's funny because, listen, the reality is, is of all the guests we speak to, each one of them has had a different upbringing. And a lot of times when someone grows up clearly in, in a more underserved community or they didn't have both parents at home or they didn't have, you know, money and a roof over their head and they didn't take it for granted, they're goal coming out was to get out right it was this like by any means necessary you found your skill and you tried to hone it and master it 
um, you did have like a good foundation as a kid and you didn't have to worry about money, but you had this like relentless drive and it wasn't just about to get, you know, down to the court. There was this thing that like no one would keep you from getting down. Um, and did that come? Your father's very successful. You know, and I think sometimes people that have successful fathers, it can go both ways. Um, it can actually be a detriment. Did, was it his success in some ways that motivated you? Was it lessons you learned? Was it just in your gut from birth? But you could tell right when I met you that no one could tell you no about anything. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely instilled from my father, uh, you know, was that work ethic and that drive. I mean, I saw him firsthand what he was doing and how he became successful. Um, and I think I saw that uh, really, to your point, you know, it came down to, you know, nobody was going to tell me, no, I was just going to do it anyway. And I would just go through another door if, if the door was closed. Um, and I definitely think, although I was fortunate to have you know, come from a, a family that had the means to know, I know that I was gonna have a roof over my head. It just, I was fortunate and had the opportunities where I could, where I could try things and I could fail. Um, and it meant that I had a safety net and I'm blessed to have had that. Um, so, um, but it, it definitely comes from my father um, that, and being able to see it firsthand and see entrepreneurs, you know, as a venture capitalist uh, and work with a lot of startups, I've seen entrepreneurs since I could see. Um, and that, without question, helped create that that ethic and that drive. All right. So we've said a little bit of you know what what you share with all of these um, other entrepreneurs, and I like to kind of set that framework. I want to also now for the listeners and also for Gianni, you know, I, I introduced you as a film and TV producer first and foremost. Um, well, you're a father and, and a husband first and foremost, but you're a, you're a film and TV producer. You're also uh, a restaurateur of sorts. You, you know, you have a very sophisticated and distinguished palate. You're somebody that like foodies respect. You have a restaurant and you write about it. And then especially during this pandemic, um, you're somebody that's relevant in politics. You're somebody that cares about our country and about the world, but tell Tell us kind of what falls under those three buckets and a little bit of just like your day to day and, and how you got here. Uh, well, you know, yeah, as we said, sort of being an entrepreneur and uh, it's been sort of at my core from the start. And you know, that, that gave me opportunities, as you joked about having a baseball card business and then working for a rap magazine called Rap Sheet um, into working in uh, college and working at restaurants, then out of college, working at Def Jam. And then ultimately, my road sort of led me to Radical Media, and where you and I got to work together on a show called The Life. And that really began my uh, television producing career, which was a documentary series. We just had our 20th anniversary. Uh, and ultimately, my goal was to get to film. But I think one of the differences in what I'm doing and what I'm trying to doing, do is all about building a foundation. Um, I mean, I, you know, I mentioned something to you earlier. You know, when I was in college, I tried to start something called iBooth another friend of ours named Joe Barrett, which was internet kiosks. And this is 25 years ago, basically. Um, it was an awful idea. Um, but, you know, we were close to dropping out of college to do it. And we didn't, um, probably with the wrong move, even though that would have failed, we would have started something else that would have turned into a multi-billion dollar business. But I think one of the things that I learned in that moment is that I didn't really have a foundation to be successful in that business yet. And for me personally, even though um, 
obviously a lot of entrepreneurs are really successful by just going off that vision. I wanted a foundation and I stopped that and then really started focusing on my TV and film passion. It, my first stop was TV, but I then parlayed that TV show into other TV shows, a show on Ludacris and Run DMC. And then ultimately that got me into the film business where I did films like Half Nelson and Blue Valentine and Place Beyond the Pines and The Accountant. And, and so my days now, though, I have the TV side of things, which has been growing. And as everybody knows, TV is just booming and we're all binging series. And so I did I Know This Much Is True for HBO, which Mark Ruffalo has gotten a lot of awards for. And then on the film side, we're developing films on a, on a daily basis and looking for stories and looking for articles and partnering with the filmmakers that I work with. Um, and so that's my core of my day to day. Um, but as you mentioned, I've always loved food. Uh, I, you know, worked at Planet Hollywood when I was in college, my first, you know, restaurant business. Um, I was fortunate to partner with some friends and take over my favorite Chinese restaurant in LA, Genghis Cone. I spent a little time on that. I, I love going out and eating food. So I share that information in a newsletter that I write. Um, and then, you know, this Zoom series that really uh, opened up the door politically for me has been a really exciting thing for the last year almost. Um, and, you know, I was a political science major in college. I, you know, I was, uh, I'd call myself an intern for the Clinton-Gore campaign in, in 96 and in 92. Um, so I always knew that politics would become more important in my daily life. And I think also seeing the band-aids have ripped off so many problems during the pandemic, both locally in Los Angeles and nationally, has really energized me on a political front as well. So, um, and I, and I want to talk a little bit about each of those buckets, but to just go back to what you said about foundation, like to be clear, like and when we were talking earlier, I mean, foundation in layman's means in some ways a resume. And that I think, like you said, there are entrepreneurs that swing for the fences or have a certain skill set that they can monetize and capitalize on right away at an early age. And you know what? A lot of times they never do it again. They never find happiness and they miss out on other things at life or, you know, or their life's perfect. However, their time was to start early. Um, I agree with you that like, in my mind, there's a different kind of entrepreneur that puts the work in and not that those don't, but puts the work in over a long period of time and, and gains their success by, being a bit more patient and seeing, you know, the finish line and playing the long game and having a slew of credentials, you know, something that when you look at over time starts to be as strong as any other asset. And there's no one can take that away from you, that experience, those resources you built up. Um, so do you think that was part of it? Cause I also see you and I'm like, here's somebody that you know, over the last 20 years, I've had to remind myself of that at times, right? Like we speak a lot and I'm, I got a tattoo, whether I should have gotten it or not, that means patience on my hand, because, you know, that is something that I don't have. However, I've had to be. So now at 44 years old, I can be proud of what I've built, but every step along the way, I was so anxious and like, I wanted more. I couldn't believe the place I was in, in my life. Do you think, but do you, and, and the reason I say is because I would look at you and you always were very chill about things and like you're a very present dad, you've traveled, you do crazy like Iron Man type things and it does feel like you want a balance of all of this in life. Were you cognizant of that? Because, you know, it's tough when you're chasing this shit to do both. Yeah, I think um, 
it's a great point. I mean, I think I, um, I think I, again, I've learned a lot from my father and my father was a, is a great father. Um, but you know, I saw him just grinding seven days a week, 24 seven. And although he was there, even when he came to a sporting event, he had his briefcase reading business plans or whatever he was doing. And I, I made a decision that I wanted to be a more present father, um, which is hard still. I mean, you know, we all know it's hard to be present and not just there in spirit, but actually there. Um, but I knew that to me was going to be just as important as, you know, winning an Oscar or having a blockbuster movie or winning an Emmy or, you know, selling a company for, you know, a billion dollars or whatever, the, whatever it is. Um, and I also knew that I was in it for the long game. Again, going back to my father, you know, he just started a new fund at 86 years old. Um, and so I'm 45. I mean, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even in like the third or fourth inning. Right now. I'm just getting, I'm just warming up still, you know, and, and I'm excited for that. I mean, I, I'm going to work till I die. So, um, I'm in no rush to get anywhere. I just want to get there the right way. So let's talk about some of these films and shows um, because it's, it seems like there aren't as many of the kind of films that you made earlier in your career now. These kind of like very well-respected, well-acted, independent films. Um, so talk, talk us through, again, some of those films you've mentioned. And Gianni, I want to know if you've seen any of these. Yeah, wh- I was going to ask which... Like whether television or film project are you most proud of? Because I've seen a place beyond the pines. It's, I love that movie. Uh, I, you know, uh, listen, I'm proud of all of them. It's always like asking about you know your favorite child. Um, but yeah, yeah. But listen, you're you're right, Rich. I mean, the you know I focused on the tour driven independent film really, which was you know films that really were focused on you know starting a conversation. Uh, being respected from an award standpoint. And um, that was just what interested me and what excited me was those was films that made people think and feel. And whether that's Blue Valentine with Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams, where every, after every movie, there was like a Jerry Springer type Q&A where people would argue about, you know, how could you, how could you believe in him or her? And that was really exciting. And, and what that, you know, people would tell me, you know, I got, I broke up with my girlfriend after seeing Blue Valentine and I was like, well, well it's a movie. Guy. <laughs> but, but um, you know, so not that I want people to break up, but that, that's really interesting experience to have. Place Beyond the Pines, I think it's a special film because it really um, crosses genres and turns a lot of things you expect to happen in a film on its head. Um, but at the same time, Sugar, in some ways, I'm, you know, most proud of Sugar because it was a film about a Dominican baseball player uh, and we used real kids from the Dominican. And when we ultimately premiered that film at the Dominican Republic Film Festival, you had people like Big Poppy and Pedro Martinez crying um, because it uh, completely showed their story in a film that wasn't a documentary. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm proud of all those films as well as the documentaries I and mean, we've done 430 for 30s ranging from straight out of la to the day the series stop uh, to soul man and harder lost um so i mean i again i'm fortunate in the fact that i pretty much get to love everything i do uh, which um is important and I'm, I'm and i'm lucky that way a lot of times you don't get that flexibility sometimes you know, you just, you, you have to, it's a job and you just got to take the job. And I've done those as well, but um, I really, um, really like all my projects. So, it, and I've asked you this question uh, throughout your journey, which is 
when you're making independent films, the economics are not great, right? So obviously you were never doing these films for the money. And that is part of, you know, an entrepreneur today is it's the drive to succeed. It's the drive to make this like big buck. Um, And when you do try to build the foundation and you do take that journey, it is at times doing projects that aren't for the money. And it's about uh, doing projects. If you believe in that concept and putting quality work out there, um, but did you never feel like you had like a big blockbuster film in you or never felt that kind of draw because, or, you know, or do you still think that that's in your future? Because I do think that the potential clearly is there. Your network is there and it would be probably even easier in some ways to be dealing with a budget of that size. Yeah. I mean, I think, listen, I think that, um, that's just to do a to traditional blockbuster when you think about it, let's say Fast and Furious, for example, um, you know, that's not a particular goal. Um, and I think, you know, from a financial standpoint, you know, the independent film route, you know, usually is not the most lucrative. That's why I've supplemented with throughout my career with reality TV shows and documentaries and documentary series. And, you know, I have to be able to be a little nimble and work on, you know, as many opportunities as come. Um, and, you know, when we did The Accountant, that was a great example of, you know, quote unquote blockbuster um, that ultimately was really just an independent film where it had, a, you know, a character that was going through its own, you know, issues. And, 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 and that's really what what really when it comes down to an independent film. It really um, it's more character driven than effects driven. I mean, so um, like I love blockbuster films. I love big I love big action films, you know, I grew up on martial arts films and Commando and The Predator and I love all those films. And if I found the right one, I'd be excited to do it. But, you know, only if it was something that I was really passionate about. I feel like a lot of people have an idea of what a movie producer is, but don't actually realize what the heavy lifting or what the process is of being a producer. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a great question. I mean, the... The role of the producer, first of all, anybody can just take it. I mean, you could say I'm a producer tomorrow. There's no, uh, there's no criteria to say that. Um, but, you know, the job of the producer really ranges from for everything. I mean, really, it starts, there's some producers who's, who, who are best at finding ideas and developing them and then putting the pieces together with the directors and the writers and the actors. Uh, there's some producers who are just great at the physical production and really just great on set and making sure that the project is finished. Um, and then there's some producers that do a little bit of everything and that's the bucket that I fall into. Um, and there's no right or wrong producer. Um, and you know, a lot, you can, you, there are a lot of correlations to, um, for producers, like producers, you know, it, it's very similar to a startup. I mean, when you're a producer, especially in the independent world, you really are the CEO of a startup. And I think that's partly why I focused on the independent film business Again, think about uh, a film versus a company, right? Versus a CEO. You got you to gotta find the, yeah, they have to be the idea, right? So in a, in a small business or a startup, same thing. You got to find, help to put the team together to help execute that idea. Okay, then you have to execute the idea. Then you have to bring that idea to market. You know, there's really, you, w- you wouldn't know if I was talking about a film or Twitter in that sense, right? Um, uh, or any startup. Um, and then ultimately, another big part of the job 
of the producer, which again is many is similar to the CEO. Once you get to a certain stage, is really a job of a fireman. You know, you're coming, you're coming to work, you're preparing, you're going through everything you need to go through, and you're hoping there's no big fires you need to put out as a CEO. And the same thing goes as a producer. All right, now you built this foundation of films. And, I, and you've done a handful of reality TV shows. You and I worked on season one of The Boardroom. You worked on The Life With Me. That was kind of the show that, not just you and I, actually. There were so many incredibly talented people that you put together for that show. Um, but you built this foundation now. And Hollywood's changed a lot, right? The world's changed a lot, especially in the last nine months. So first tell me how Hollywood is kind of different and filmmaking different now than it was when you started. And also what you see you're going to do like what's your plan what's your plot now that you see the landscape your kids are a bit older um and you have built this foundation now to kind of take this next step in hollywood well yeah i mean the biggest shift obviously um is the streamers entering the market um which um you know has really um advanced the business you know a decade per se um and what that also has led to is television you know, in many ways are sort of dominating film today. Um, and I think, you know, we, we t I took an approach early on with some filmmakers um, when we started out thinking about television, you know, five or six years ago. Sometimes you just get a story that needs to be a bit longer. It needs to be, you know, four hours or six hours. And, and that just didn't work as a movie. And that meant even for the most part, five or six years ago, it just didn't happen. And today what you're seeing is the amount of time something is, is really irrelevant. I mean, you're seeing TV shows where all of a sudden there's an episode that's 20 minutes or 63 minutes. And, and, you know, it was so rigid years ago that didn't allow for that. You're seeing seasons that are four episodes, six episodes, eight episodes, two year shows. Um, so that's really exciting. exciting to me as a producer, uh, cause it really means any idea um, that's good can be turned into something and, you, you know, you can potentially have, you know, success with it. Um, and I think that's going to continue. I'm hopeful in the film side that um, the days of, you know, smart, sophisticated dramas are, are here to stay and they're going to rebound, uh, not to take anything away from some of the movies that have made, been made recently. But, you know, there's definitely been a void in that marketplace. And I think part of that stems from, those films usually needed the theatrical business in order to really raise awareness. And that's really what theatrical business was for any sort of traditional independent bill film was really just to get it out there and to get people to see it in the right way to have start a conversation about it. And then that turned into a film people wanted to see. I mean, I'm sure Gianni, you didn't see place beyond the pines, of the movie theater. I would be surprised if you did. Um, um, because you probably heard about it. And then when it was on some videos platform, um, you, you know, we're like, okay, I'm going to check that out. So I think we're kind of capitalized by really just doubling down on the TV side of things and, and, and pushing those projects forward. And we have a lot of exciting projects right now on the TV space that are on the horizon, uh, which I'm really, really excited to, to actually see come to fruition. Um, well, we have project HBO, a project at Showtime, a project at Peacock. Um, we just did a project at HBO, uh, we have two projects at HBO actually. Um, so I think that's really exciting for all producers. You know, so this is my thing about 
content right now. So, you know, we make sports documentaries and sports series. Uh, and we have a totally different outlook on it because we didn't build a foundation in this business. Um, and we're coming in at a time where there is this incredible amount of content and so many different people to bring your content to and just distribute it, right? The problem is, is while I find it so easy in some ways to get work out to the masses, you know, there's this demand for it. It's like here today, gone tomorrow. And not only that, sometimes it's like here today and nobody knows because you can't find it. And when we were younger, there was like a trailer to a movie. There was a commercial. There was print ads and billboards. But now we don't watch commercials. We don't go to the movies. Um, there's really no such thing as a print ad. And I think that people are relying and the streaming services are relying on the audience to search. And maybe Gianni's age and younger, and maybe not, right? Because Gianni and I have talked about this too. Like I just asked him about the Britney Spears documentary, which the whole world's talking about, but Gianni doesn't know about it, right? Because the whole world's not talking about it. It's just that like I happened to see it on Instagram one day. So don't you think that there is a struggle a bit with, like you can break through your Mark Ruffalo project broke through. I mean, that is like, he's one of those transcendent talents, but this finding of the content in all of these streaming services, I feel like sometimes I don't even watch shit, actually. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great point. I mean, not so dissimilar than life. We're all in our own echo chambers. And, you know, this is one of my frustrations with places uh, like Netflix, who's obviously the 800-pound gorilla in the, in the market now. Um, you know, when I turn on my Netflix and look at, and see what they're recommending to me, they're only recommending things that the algorithm says I might like. And I really personally am not that you know, big a fan of the algorithm, you know, because um, it just ultimately, there is an aspect of editorializing things that we need. And to your point, if someone you know and your Instagram feed doesn't tell you about it at this point, you're just not going to find it. And you're not, you can't really even search for it right now. Um, I mean, there's definitely a big opportunity in trying to crack that problem and you know for all the entrepreneurs you have on this this show hopefully uh one of them will come up with a solution to it um but you know it's that problem's only to get bigger and bigger um hopefully you know if you see what apple tv is doing and then you know in the sense of you know and and disney plus that you have you know these channels with inside of these sort of networks that ultimately you know if you go to Disney Plus, and you see the searchlight banner or square or tile, you're going to click on searchlight and you're going to have some connection that, oh, searchlight made Little Miss Sunshine. They probably have a film that's kind of interesting or cool. Um, but it's a challenge and it's only getting harder with the amount of content um, out there from not only traditional players, but the Snapchats and YouTubes and Instagrams and, and more and more content coming out. It's not going to get easier for a bit. And someone does need to crack that. To your point about the rise of television, I feel like before in Hollywood, it was taboo for like big movie stars to do television shows. And now I feel like that taboo is kind of erased right now. Do you think it's like because of the rise of these streamers? Yeah, well, I think it's it's more um, the, you know, the, the actors really follow the material for the most part. Um, I mean, everybody's beholden to the material, to the scripts and the writers and the directors. And so ultimately, 
um, I think uh, it was just a different medium. It was a different art form television prior. Um, with limited series, especially, I mean, again, that's really, if you talk to Derek C in France, who just made, I know this much is true for HBO, he actually, he, he never uses the word TV show. He only uses the word movie with that. He said, we just made a movie for HBO. Um, and I think, first of all, I think there was a little bit of a, a mindset actors had to get into, and then they had to just see the quality. And I mean, I can't argue, there's no, the, the quality between a great film or a great TV series is, today is, is very uh, negligible. And that's primarily because um, the, the quality of people working on those shows, especially from a, um, uh, a um, authenticity sort of dramatic uh, background has grown. Because again, I mean, we all know TV has been amazing for a long time. There's a reason that more people watch, you know, Seinfeld or the Friends uh, finale than than almost anything else in the world. It's you know that that was really good television. But the actor, there's no more stigma for an actor about being on a TV show. I agree with you on Apple TV Plus, though. It's like there's it's less is more there. It's just like I go there at times, honestly, just to like relax my eyes. I'm like, all right, cool. Let me just take it in. Only six series on this fucking streaming service. Go back to Netflix. Shit is like walmart man and it's fucked up because there's such incredible content on there um all right what's we're gonna move away from film and tv for a second but i want to know one like what's on the bucket list left i mean you have way further in your life in film and tv but what's one thing that gianni and i are going to just see on the big screen one day or the little screen i mean listen i mean i think for a bucket list uh you know Having a you know an Oscar-winning film is definitely a, a bucket list, um, and the same thing as an Emmy you know an Emmy-winning TV show. I've got an actor who's won an Emmy, but I'd love to win an Emmy. Um, and um, and I, I want to sounds kind of corny, but I just want to I want to be able to make some more shows and films that really move the needle on a conversation. Um, you know, I have a lot of you know there's been a lot of crossover in my political um ish, interest and um social justice interests into my uh films you know i'm working on a film and tv show about immigration i'm working on a show about uh criminal justice reform um you know so um that that's really what i want to do i mean it's the it's you know having the accolades but it's also creating more shows and films that really move conversations forward and shed light on stories that are being forgotten um like one of the ones I'm most excited about, it, I'd say, is Solitary, which is based on a book by Albert Wood Fox, who was a Black Panther, spent more time in solitary confinement than any other person uh, in the history of our country. And I'm doing that with Mahershala Ali. Um, so that's probably, if you want an actual project, I mean, we're doing that with Searchlight, and I'm, I'm most excited about bringing that out. See, there's still like real Hollywood people, right? When you said that, bro, and like, you're my boy, but even when you said that, like, that... Mahershala Ali film that's the Hollywood shit that's a different level of the world I'm in which is like everybody's a film and tv producer and everyone's making content and it's that kind of work is timeless and I'm excited to see that film um so I want to ask you about your restaurant Genghis Cohen wait you know what actually back to film you said your Emmy wasn't really your Emmy it was an actor's Emmy so when you gave it to KD that summer and said borrow my Emmy for the summer it wasn't yours no, different Emmy. That's no. I'm saying what Mark Ruffalo just won the Emmy. Oh, okay. For I know as much as true. I won an Emmy um, for uh, a documentary project uh, that, yes, Kevin is welcome to borrow. He had it for one summer. He's welcome <laughs> to have it as long as he wants. 
Um, he he but, definitely uh, forgot that shit at the rental house. Jamie was like, yeah, let me so- come get that Emmy before you guys move out. <laughs> Um, all right, your restaurant, Genghis Cohen, every time I'm in L.A., all of us, every time we go, Kevin and I for work, um, Randy, you know, always wants. Where in L.A. is it? Don Fairfax uh, between uh, Melrose and Santa Monica. Randy is like a Genghis Cohen fanatic. Have you never had it, Gianni? Nah, that's why I'm asking. So Genghis Cohen, to me, is like a traditional New York Chinese like comfort food but in LA, it's been there forever. Tell me a little bit about that story because it's an incredible name, incredible story. And then your partners with our boy, Mark Rose and Med also. I don't know if you know them, G, but yeah, tell us a little bit about Genghis Khan. Yeah, uh, as a New York City uh, kid at, at heart, um, you know, Chinese food is always one of my favorite things. And we, in New York, you're spoiled that you don't realize it, that on every block, there's a, there's a, a Chinese restaurant where you can get your staples uh, and you know your your egg rolls or your chicken and broccoli or whatnot. In outside of New York, it's hard to do that. In LA, there was one place called Genghis Cone. And when I moved out to LA almost 20 years ago, I found it and just loved it. And um, about five years ago, Mark Rose and and Med, who were partners, uh, found out that it was going to be for sale. So we hurried up. We pooled some money together. Some people invested and we took it over and their plan originally was to just sell the liquor license. And we said, no, hold up. We're not, we're only taking it over. If you give us the recipes for the food and you stay on to, to, to cook and, and it, it doesn't change. And, you know, that's what we've really done and, and people love it. I mean, it's really, uh, it's become a, you know, a, a comfort food spot for people in LA and, and everybody at some point, except Gianni has had Genghis Cone and, uh, and loved something. I actually have been invited to a birthday party at Genghis Cohen, so shout out to Stephanie Shepard. So you skipped Stephanie Shepard's birthday and didn't eat at my restaurant, Johnny? All right, this is getting worse, Man, Jenny. I'm so sorry. And you stole Randy's thunder because Randy is one of our best customers. Because I think I've always bought Randy's meals, but other than that, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jamie. Similarly to like my question earlier about patience and how you've been able to do it, when I talked to you about Genghis Cohen, I'm like, man, why don't you fucking open this thing in Vegas? It's incredible. And, you, you know, I know you have a plan for it. And I know that as much as I'm like, your plan for your food career in general, I'm always like, Jamie, you can do this, you can do that. And I do love the way you kind of methodically see the playing field. And I know you have something in store. But is that just me being crazy or do you see your food business as something you're going to build upon? Or is it just like, this is incredible that you have great partners and you have this Chinese restaurant and you write your blog and, uh, but you're a film producer truly. Yeah. I mean, I think, listen, it's, um, it's hard um, when you step, step outside your lane completely to really build things totally the way you'd want to back to that foundation concept right now. I'm just learning the restaurant business and um, you know, Genghis Cohen has, you know, its own growth plan. Um, but ultimately for me, it's all down to just, I love this business. I love food. Um, I didn't plan to own a restaurant per se uh, at this point, just the opportunity came up and it was something I did want to do sooner or later in life. Um, and I'm looking at other opportunities now as well. And I think if the right thing comes along, whether that's growing Genghis Cone or something else, then I'm going to capitalize on it. But it's it's hard, even though, you know, you look at, uh, you know, 
people are able to step into multiple uh, arenas at the same time. I think, again, for me, because I'm so focused on making sure, okay, I, I have this strong foundation in the film business. It took me, you know, 15 years or so before I really knew everything I wanted to know. And I'm still learning more every day. Um, but I think the same thing goes in the restaurant business where it's like, okay, let's see how this works. Let's see how it goes. And I'm having fun with it. And um, so, you know, it will take its course. Um, and maybe in Vegas, maybe not. And then lastly, let's get to the kind of political side of your career. Um, again, like Gianni, every time I talk to him about like anything he's doing, I take it to the max. Like I'll be like, run for mayor, bro, run for mayor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, over the pandemic, you know, as like therapy to a lot of people, but also as a very impactful platform to kind of talk about what was happening urgently in America, you created these Zoom calls that ended up getting covered in Hollywood Reporter and Variety or one of them. Um, and the calls were filled with like who's who in all different walks of life and also just friends of yours and part of your network, which is like one of your claims to fame. Talk to me a little bit about that. Um, and also like when I'm telling you run for mayor, run for mayor, run for mayor, like again, am I crazy? Or do you really think that with your restaurant business, with your incredible film and TV career, with still being an active father and active husband, <laughs> active husband, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> do you think you really are going to like dive into that world or is that just something we're going to talk about forever and you're just going to always be someone that's helping and helping make a change? Uh, yeah, it's a great way to end that question. I mean, I think I... Um the lunch zooms were great and it really which was uh you know started simply because you know i was interested and you know a lot of my friends were interested in sort of how do we how do we weather this pandemic and from an economic standpoint early on and you know back to my father we started with a conversation where people kept asking me, what does he think as a venture capitalist who's seen everything and we just did a zoom together with 50 friends and that's turned into you know, having Muhammad El Aryan and Mark Cuban, and then um, you know Albert Woodfox joined us, and Brian Stevenson, Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris, Rich Kleiman was a regular guest and questioner, um, Cory Booker. Uh, you know, it really it was a really um, amazing opportunity for myself and for my network of friends. You know, we usually had two to three hundred people on these zooms and got to ask questions and hear from them. You know. It started simply from an economic standpoint, then went into more of a coronavirus sort of uh, medical standpoint, then went into social justice, and then ultimately into the election. Hosted a lot of politicians who were running for office. Um, and I think from a personal standpoint, I want to figure out from a political standpoint um, more, how, how can I be most helpful? How can I be most effective at making change? And if that is doing what I'm doing from a film and TV standpoint, because again, as I mentioned, you know, almost everything we're working on is, has some sort of issue at its core. Um, and I think that can really make a, make a difference. And you, you know, you talk to people in that world and they look at content creators as one of the keys to helping to, you know, change a lot of the ills in our society. And so I, I don't want to ignore that platform, but at the same time, if I see, you know, potentially, running for a political office, whether that's, you know, mayor of Los Angeles or it's, uh, you know, city council or it's school board or it's Congress or Senate, 
you know, I'm going to consider everything that comes about. And again, if I think that's the way I can be most effective, then uh, I'll, you know, jump at it. Um, but that's really the core of it. I mean, because again, I, I feel like I, am, I have a good platform right now to affect change. So for me to jump into a political office, A, no reason to think I'll win something, but um, I also don't like being told no. And so, um, but uh, it would have to be because I think I can make more of a difference in that area. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night or keep yourself up like I do thinking about you're not doing enough, you could be doing more. And I'm not talking about in your community. I'm talking about from a business standpoint, because you do have your hand in so many things that that is the concern for any CEO. It's a concern for any entrepreneur is, you know, make sure that you do like finish your breakfast as Jay-Z would say. Um, do you, does that, does that challenge come into your mind? Yeah. You mean you think do, doing too much? Well, doing too much and then not getting, the most out of you know what yeah. you started at times, you know, wondering if some of these things are keeping you from the big prize. Yeah, I mean, I think you know we talk about this all the time, and I you know I'd throw the question back at you. Um, you know, it's hard to, and I have a challenge with this to not uh, to to focus always focus on the on the big prize and to not get uh, sidetracked by things that aren't uh, aren't directly working towards your goal of, you know, whatever it may be in whatever industry. Um, and, you know, whether that's um, just getting hung up on a challenge that either A, someone else who works with you could figure out or B, ultimately is going to just take you down a rabbit hole you don't need to go. Um, or it's, you know, some, for some reason, on some day you agree to do something and just not being willing to, to sort of say, okay, let's, 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 Dead that because it's not going to take us where we want to go. Um, that's a challenge. Uh, it's a real challenge, and especially in my industry because, you know, there's this amazing story. Uh, there's all these amazing stories that always come to me on a regular basis. That you have to you have to ultimately sometimes just say no to uh, because you just a you don't know how to get it made, and b you know I like to get involved with things where I can see the finish line. You know, you don't always know how you're going to get there. At least I can see the finish line. If I can't see the finish line, I don't want to get involved with it, even if it's an amazing opportunity or an amazing story, because it's, I just, I don't, there's not enough time in the day to do everything. And I hate having to say no to these, some stories that are just heartbreaking and, and important stories. But if I don't know how I'm going to get it to the end, um, and I had to learn that. I've said yes to a lot of projects that, I should have said no to, um, and ultimately didn't get to fruition because I didn't know how to get them there. I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't let the story go by without trying to help. I think the thing for me um, is also, uh, I did used to probably take on too much, and at times that compromises some of the things you're working on. And and I think the finish line for me, like you said, I've never started anything without like seeing what could ultimately be the payoff, uh, for better or for worse. But I do think that what happens at this point is if you're entrepreneurial and you've built this foundation and you're in your 40s and you've gotten this confidence and perspective is being able to say no to certain things becomes really empowering because it doesn't matter if you've missed it. I mean, in the last two months, I've found out about multiple investments that honestly crush me right on paper for a quick second. And then you realize and you start thinking, especially now when in, it's never been more obvious what's important, you know, like how everything just like 
instantly became so like clear that it really was about your family and the foundation both in your career and the foundation at home and that some things can pass you by you know it, sometimes it's not our destiny to to do every one of these projects and i do think that when it's all said and done, you're going to look at your body of work in all of those buckets of life and how you've been as a father. And, you know, I know that even though I've been on you for the last 20 years, because I think you can take over the world, that you've done it the right way. And I do think it's really commendable because, you know, I, I had a guest once, uh, Gary V, and I don't want to, I don't want to keep harping on this because I know he didn't mean it this way, but he said when he sees young people, and if they've gone to college, sometimes he's like, man, that's not right for my job because, you know, the the idea that you have to just kind of make it about your profession and nothing else right off the bat is really not for everyone. And that there is some real, um, there's incredible benefit to doing it the way you've done it and to building your career to the point now where like I can see it. You do find joy in what you do and you have earned the respect of people in all three of those worlds. You know, and that's a big thing is with the work you do comes a network of people that truly respect you and trust you and you can't just say, hey, I'm a foodie tomorrow or I'm gonna open a restaurant and I can now be the arbiter on what this business is. And I think that's also something that I really respect is you do have a respect for the process. Yeah, and I think um, this will sound um, uh, sentimental in some ways, but I've had I've had a lot of success uh, so far, and I have a lot more to come. Um, but you know, if I had to ask you what you're most proud of today, and in a real genuine way, you're what you're most proud of is what I'm most proud of, and that's the fact we've been married for almost twenty years, and we have two amazing daughters. And that's and and they've got who have an amazing foundation, um, and that's chapter one. And I couldn't be more proud of that. And the fact that I've had the success in TV or film is great. And I, but ultimately, I'm going to come back to that thing. And that is hard. That's a hard. That that's the hardest of all. Um, you know. So um, I think that's the thing that I've ultimately when push comes to stuff, I had to put the most energy into. Um, and I couldn't be happy about that. And as we continue on, and both of us in our careers, um, our careers have taken their own twists and turn. And, you know, back to the point you were talking about as far as, um, you know, not getting sort of going down the wrong road or not, you know, not focusing on things where you don't know um, the outcome and you don't know how that's going to lead to your next step. I mean, that's been your whole career. Um, you know, and, and, you know, who would have thought 20 years later after working as a music supervisor on the life that we'd be here and you would have had all these amazing successes, um, in your career. Um, and that partly came down through, you know, choosing those unusual paths. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the best part of this point in life is, uh, you meet these people that for the last like 20 years, when they were going around the world and doing certain things and doing things that you couldn't do because you had a newborn or you had a four-year-old or a five-year-old. Well, now it's like you're all coming out of it and they're coming into my office and like, man, I got to start a family, bro. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm about five years away from kicking my feet up and sleeping to whenever the hell I want, man. So, you know, it's everyone chooses a different path. I am proud of the path that we've both taken. I think that 
you know, I wouldn't have done it again. I agree with you. The thing I'm most proud of is clearly my family, but I'm also so proud and passionate about my work. And the exciting thing is, is like, yeah, maybe we have not had our kind of billion dollar story to tell yet, or maybe we never will. But at 44 and 45, respectfully, there is a lot to be said for an entrepreneur that like puts in the work and puts in the journey and doesn't hit a home run off the bat. And, you know, and I think Gianni, you know, you've seen growing up in New York City, you've been exposed to the people that got like filthy rich at 20, 25 years old. And, you know, I think you're seeing now from being around 35 ventures a bit that like, you know, you've sat in on all these pods, you see this path that um, you can take. Do you think, you know, before we go, I've never actually even asked you this. Like, have you taken that away at all from all our guests that like there is another side to being an entrepreneur that is like this long journey at times and maybe not this, I found this company and boom, I'm a millionaire overnight? Oh yeah, I mean, what gives me real solace is that Quincy Jones didn't produce Thriller until he was 50. So I'm like, okay, I've got about 24 years until I really, by 50, I better have that aha moment where, Something's got to pop. So a lot of people my age, you know, they they rush to it. They think that they have to know what they want to do right away. But there's a real journey to entrepreneurialism. And so you, this conversations, Quincy Jones, it all gives me hope. Wow, Jamie, you ever been grouped in a conversation with Quincy Jones before, buddy? I, I, I like not, it. Gianni, like you it. just made our day. I like it. Yeah, and I th- listen, I think, Gianni, I think that's an amazing approach to have. And I don't, listen, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do anything. Everybody's got their own way. Uh, you know, Rich and my, you know, careers, we both have had a lot of successes from a traditional uh, business standpoint. You know, maybe when we look back, our unicorn of our first, you know, chapter is our families, and that's our billion-dollar company. Um, and we've, you know, as as family man entrepreneurs, maybe, is that as a, a term that uh, Rich and I were throwing out earlier, um, that's sort of the first stage of that. And, um, you know, again, as we, uh, you know, I'm, I've got five years till I'm at the Quincy Jones age of, uh, you know, of creating my, my thriller. Um, but I feel like we've all done that in, in ways, uh, uh, up until this point as well. I mean, so, you know, we've been really, and Rich and I both have been really, uh, um, smart about how our, our careers have, have, you know, gone to to this part and um and i know both of us in many ways are really just getting started still and i think that's the i think everybody should take that approach to some extent i mean this idea of you have to have everything right from the start um you know is is an approach but i i think it's you know you got you don't need to compare yourself to that as a person I think you have to do what's right for you and i think johnny if you can take that approach um, I think that's a very healthy way to do it. And that doesn't mean you work one less minute of the day now. It just, you know, you just need to make sure that, you know, what you're doing is something you're passionate about and something that you believe in and something that you think, you know, financially is a is a good opportunity. And then those paths will all cross and it'll all work out. All right. Well, Jamie, this was better than I could have even expected, man. Learned a little bit about you, actually. Um, well, not about you, but about how you think. And I mean, that's the point of this podcast, man. Even uh, even you have shed some light on us in the Out of Office podcast, number 28. Um, so thank you again, man. I appreciate it. I look forward to uh, this next chapter. And I think we definitely did coin this term, family man entrepreneur, bro. We're going to start hashtagging that shit. I trademarked it already, so don't try. I trademarked it too. 
<laughs> you hashtagged it. More important than trademarking it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. All right, Jamie. We'll speak to you soon, man. All right. Thanks, guys.